Welcome to the Fish Casting Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner of Fish Facts TV. Hey, everybody. I'm Captain Tim. You can find me on Instagram at Captain Strip. All right, guys. We uh, we got a really awesome podcast. I've been telling you guys I was going to get a guest since like week two. We finally got a guest. Um, it is Drew Cook of the Bassmaster Elite Series. Um, we just finished the interview. It was a really awesome interview. Um, I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Um, we will. We both did a lot of fishing this week, but we know we're already kind of running long um, with the interview. So we'll have to save our fishing reports for next time. So, uh, alrighty, enjoy. All right, uh, Drew, thanks again for coming out and uh, doing this with us. Uh, we're really excited to hear about you. So could you please just tell us about yourself and uh, about what you do? Yeah, so um, I'm 26, uh, graduated from Florida State, fished in college all the way through there and wanted to become a professional fisherman since I was a kid and moved on to the next step, fished the Opens um, and qualified for the Bassmaster Elite Series in 2019. Um, now I fish for a living. And it doesn't suck. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, you know, that's just kind of their dream job, um, especially, you know, there's so many bass or so many bass fishermen throughout this country. Um, I guess, can you talk a little bit more about the process on like fishing the opens and actually like how you get your tour card? I, I don't really know anything about that. Yeah, so um, the only way that you can make the Elite Series is to fish the open. So, which would be like a, a minor league or triple A ball. And you have to finish in the, the top three or four um, through a division. There's two divisions, an Eastern and a uh, Central. And once you finish in that top four, then you get invited to, to fish on the elites. And once you're in the elites, um, as long as you stay in like the top 70%, you know, you'll stay in the elites until you retire but if you fall below the 70%, then you get cut and then they bring in, they bring in new people every year. Now, where, where are you sitting right now in that uh, percentile range? Um, somewhere in about, I guess on my career average, it'd be about 10th. Hmm. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, well, how about, how, how did you get started fishing? I know, um, me and Tim both know your brother very well, and we know uh, you guys had a big offshore boat. But uh, how did you get into bass? And, uh, you know, tell us about growing up fishing in, uh, in Lake Talquin and that area. I know you guys uh, had a lake house over there back in the day. Oh, yeah. So we actually lived on Lake Talquin for um, a long time, whenever, and then we moved into town and always had the lake house. And, you know, we were down there any chance we got. Um, I spent a bunch of time fishing and we really got into saltwater fishing and um, obviously I love saltwater fishing still, but um, to, I guess, fish professionally in the saltwater deal, it's kind of, you got to have a couple million dollars to, to play around out there. I mean, you could be a captain, but it's, you know, a full-time job. It's not just actual fishing. Um, there was a really good path to, to bass fish you know, professionally to make it there as a normal person. And I mean, I really don't care what it, what it is. 
I mean, I, I like to catch everything, but the the whole new lakes, never been here before, trying to figure stuff out in the bass fishing side is what really kind of drew me into it. Yeah, we, we definitely are going to get into that a little bit later. That I'm actually really excited. Um, so just a little bit about our podcast. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but we are primarily saltwater uh, ourselves. But like almost every kid in the U.S., you know, we both grew up bass fishing, you know, as a as a kid, it's a lot more accessible to uh, fish for bass. You know, like you said before, it's, it's expensive to get into uh, saltwater fishing. Even now, you know, as an adult, saltwater fishing is, uh, is very expensive. What, what about you, Tim? You have any, uh, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, you mentioned that if you fall off of that 70% range uh, on the elite series, um, are you able to requalify pretty easily or, or do you, is there a vetting process or like a timeline that you have to wait? Uh, that kind of always intrigued me about if you fall off of that, what kind of waiting period or, or can you get right back on the horse and get back in the game? So as, as soon as you get cut, you can, you, you can go straight back to the opens and, and you could requalify that same year um, for the, for the next year, but there's no, you don't have to wait or anything like that, but, these opens, they're, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. It's not like, you know, the, where people are picking you from the, like the minor leads and bringing you up and putting you down and, you know, making every, all the decisions for you. It's, there's 20 or 200 people um, in every tournament in the opens about there, there. So maybe 180, maybe 220. So it's not that easy. But it uh, it definitely can be done, obviously. But um, yeah, if you if you didn't want to start a new job or get a new job, you would go right back into the opens to to try to requalify for the next year and kind of never skip a beat. Just wondering how it works with like different sponsorships and things like that. If you fall back into the open division uh, out of the elite circuit, um, is there a timeline for them, or do they just drop you? It's just out of curiosity. I don't know if this is like an insensitive subject, but uh, just was wondering. That's that's all all kind of relative on and different, you know, with your relationship with the sponsors. Um, quite frankly, ninety percent of them are going to drop you like that. But there there will be some of them that you know <laughs> for a long time, or you know, you you have a really strong social media presence or something like that. Then you know they might stick with you. You know, give you a year or two to try to requalify but a lot of them are going to just ask you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's funny. I, you're always coming up in my feed for AFTCO. So I imagine uh, like on Facebook and Instagram, it's like Drew Cook, AFTCO, you know, like sponsored uh, Instagram posts. So it's, I assume that's uh, one of your, one of your bigger sponsors. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're one of the, one of my main sponsors and um, they've, if I had a great relationship with them, love the guys over there. They're, we, we all see eye to eye. They're fun to hang out with. Um, you know, Casey, he's, he's our age, you know, around 30, and he loves it too, all of it, all the fishing. So we've got a really good relationship, but um, hopefully I never put them in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we don't even want to touch on that. Um, now, can you tell me what's your favorite lake? Because I think that's one of the coolest things about – your job is you're fishing different lakes. You know, I like to fish all different bodies of water. You know, I lived in New York, New Orleans, 
uh, you know, traveled a lot. I love fishing different lakes, but actually getting paid. Um, so like of all the lakes you've gotten to fish um, in the opens and as a pro, what's your favorite lake and why? Um, I think my favorite is uh, Lake Hartwell in South Carolina. It's a, it's a really cool lake and there's not a whole lot of lakes like it. Um, it's got spotted bass, large mouth and the large mouth like spotted bass and the spotted bass act like large mouth and they all spawn together. It's just a really cool, cool place. Um, obviously it's pretty up there too. And it's not nice, clean, clear water, which is something that I never really grew up with down here. Um, where I'm from, everything's pretty tannic or, you know, muddy, but that that's probably my favorite that or a New York Lake. Um, that, that's actually a good, a good point. The, the spotted bass, um, what kind of different tactics do you employ? Cause I know different tournaments, you know, sometimes you're trying to get small mouth. Sometimes you're going to do large mouth. Sometimes you're going to trying to get spotted. I don't know if there's any other species you would ever, if like a swanee bass or if there's any other, like, you know, cause I think there's like 20 species of black bass. Like if there's any of the less common species you would target in any tournaments. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume striped bass or hybrid bass are not uh, included at any points. No, they're, they're not. And, and pretty much the difference between um, the, the spotted bass, you can kind of group them together. Um, other than the large, large mouth, you know, they don't, really have to see things as much the spotted bass and the smallmouth they want to be able to see a long ways and typically with the spotted bass and the smallmouth is you can work something a lot faster than you can for for largemouth they're going to go get it and they they tend to be in groups more than largemouth um but they're all they're all different and if you're good at one then you might not be good at another but they're fun all of them that's something that's pretty interesting that you bring up um how how you would think as a bass angler that it would just be kind of under the umbrella of bass fishing but the different species the different techniques and things like that um it's something that i really didn't think about uh i wanted to to kind of go back you mentioned um lake hartwell uh, in south carolina about it being a clear water lake what kind of um, changes did you have to make going from that tannic water to the clear water? Is it just scaling back tack? Yeah, um, you know, down, downsizing line, uh, weight. Uh, but that stuff's fun to me because I never really did a whole lot of it uh, growing up because we were always had tannic water. You can use big line, big weights, big rods, you know, hook them, apply maximum pressure and get them in the boat where, you know, you got to do a lot of spinning rod stuff with the smallmouth and the spotted bass. Um, and making that uh, transition was probably one of the hardest things that I did was not just sticking with my guns and trying to learn new things. But, and I still enjoy it now. I'd much rather catch them on, you know, 20 pound test with a big rod, but I still feel confident now that I can catch them on a spinning rod with six pound test just as good. Yeah, that's that's a really exciting part of fishing. And um, that, that actually kind of brings me into like two questions that I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, first, you know, I grew up fishing basically 50-50 saltwater, freshwater, but I was always more comfortable 
with fishing spinning tackle. I had a couple bait casters when I was in high school because they were cool when bass fishing was cool amongst all my high school friends, but never really mastered the bait caster. Why as a pro bass angler, do you prefer the bait casters in those uh, general like large mouth scenarios? Um, one is gonna be your line retrieve. So um, like, I'm sitting there looking at a bunch of raw reels right now, and I can see one that's a nine one to one gear ratio, uh, eight one to one, eight five to one. They're all fast. My fastest spinning rod that I'm looking at or spinning reel is a Stratic, and I think it's six four to one. So a lot more line you can take up, and you can make a lot more accurate cast with a bait caster than you can a spinning rod, in my opinion. I mean, I'm sure somebody there's a there's a little kid somewhere that's on YouTube that can cast a spinning rod better than anybody I've ever seen. I'm sure. But, you know, that's just personally me um, and being able to throw bigger, bigger baits or, you know, stuff that would really be hard to throw on a, on a small bass size spinning reel. And yeah, that's actually kind of the next part of my question. Um, so for me, almost, all of the bass fishing I've ever done has been with Zoom or um, Yamamoto, whether it's a stick worm or a trick worm. To me, fishing like small ponds, but even down here in South Florida in the Everglades, I've just had so much luck um, using worms. So first, how do you decide when you're gonna wanna switch tactics to worms? or use crankbaits, spinnerbaits? And then is that something you do to target bigger fish? Because especially here in the Everglades, I'll catch a hundred bass, but the biggest one is 16 inches long. So is, is that have something to do with that as well? Um, you know, there's a lot of different uh, factors that go into it, but really it's what's in the body of water. That, if it's got a lot of shad in it, then yeah, and the spinnerbaits and the crankbaits are gonna work a lot better. Uh, down there in the Everglades is it'll be like shiners and you know stuff there's worms and everything you can catch them on a worm anywhere in the world um and especially a stick bait like you're talking about you could catch one every day any day anywhere on one of those um but the the spinner bait you know if you were going to change from a, like a crankbait to a spinner bait it would be like you know the conditions change windy or you know the water was a little bit dirty. You would throw a, a, a spinner bait, you know, in really dirty water over a crankbait, or, you know, if it was overcast, you know, some, those blades, a spinner bait has been around since before all three of us put together were, <laughs> were born and it, it still catches them every day. So, and if you look at it, it, it don't look natural at all, but it's just <laughs> blades on it that, that make them catch fish. How much um, pre-tournament scouting time do you get? You know, I, I, you fish these lakes all over the country or per, perhaps internationally. Um, do you get a couple days or sometime is it just splash the boat and then go out the next morning? Um, you know, what kind of timelines do you have to pre-fish these? So for our pre-practice, which is um, you can pre-practice up to 30 days before the first official practice day. Um, you can go, you know, anytime you want, however long you want. Um, but 
when it comes to our actual practice, we have uh, two and a half days to, to fish these places or to, you know, practice on these places. And then the tournament starts um, on the fourth day. So the whole pre-practice thing, it, um, I've experimented both with it. Sometimes, I mean, I've had two events, I know for a fact that pre-practicing helped me in, but I've had, you know, three or four events that I know pre-practice has hurt me in. seems like if you go there with a preconceived notion of something that you've already done up there, then you're not going to really like fish what you, what's in front of you right now. You're going to fish memories and stuff like that. Mm. And that's kind of where I've leaned towards not pre-practicing. You know, if I, if there's a new lake, I just go there for the official practice of two and a half days and fish what I see. Um, and it's, it's a little bit different because we can't, as soon as we get our schedule, when they release it, we can't talk to anybody about any body of water. That, uh, so that keeps us all on a level playing field. And, you know, it's not just about who, you know, which, because there's people that know way more people than I do that would probably, you know, be able to get better information, but, I stick to the two and a half days and I'm going to dabble back and forth with it, you know, pre-practicing and not again here in the future, but not right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that uh, brings up an interesting point about, you know, bass, but all fish, how much weather can change. And especially, you know, from October 1st to November 1st, you know, it can be a huge difference and even one cold front, I feel like can have a huge impact on uh, what the what the fish are hitting. Have you ever had that happen to you before, where some huge weather event shifted either in the middle of a tournament or from the practice days to the tournament, and you had to totally change your game plan? Oh, absolutely. More times than not, you know, either have like a big rain, um, or you know, the water fluctuates. You know, go up or down two or three feet and or or like you said a cold front a cold front's terrible in the beginning of the year in the early spring a cold front you know really sucks but in october you know they're a little bit better a little bit easier and if it's the first one or two then you know it can help the bite but all that stuff happens and you just kind of whenever one of those things gets thrown at you a curveball you just kind of take it and fish the conditions and just go yeah that's uh all right we'll, we'll try to limit ourselves to maybe two more questions each i don't want to keep you here all night long um but i do appreciate you so much this has been great so far so for me um what is your favorite lure to catch big bass you if we're our listeners just have been catching little 12 to 16 inches like me who want to catch bigger fish what would be your first lure and any other advice or recommendations for getting bigger fish? I think I would have to, it's made by big bite baits it's called a fighting frog. And I couldn't even tell you how much money I've made off of it. I've caught a pile of big fish. Um, and I've thought on it all the way from, you know, pre-spawn while they're spawning all the way through the summer. Um, it's a, it's a crawfish imitating bait. Um, they named it a frog because the head of it kind of looks like a frog, but it's not a topwater bait. You know, I throw it on Texas rig most of the time or on back of a jig. 
And anytime that, you know, if you're catching fish and, you know, you want to get a bigger bite, obviously the old saying, bigger the bait, bigger the fish, it, it does rain true most of the time. Like you can throw a bigger bait of the same, you know, look or, you know, pattern or whatever, throw a bigger bait and get a bigger fish especially if you're catching a lot of them. Yeah, um, I guess for, for, I would say some of our younger listeners, but I mean, it could be really anybody. Um, what advice would you give to, you know, um, making the jump onto the open circuit? Is it really just a matter of um, getting out there and, and practicing or, or what, you know, I, I know you grew up on uh, Lake Taplin and, and you had access to that, but for people that may not, I, I don't know if it's even a thing. Um, I know bass fishing is more accessible than like we talked about earlier, saltwater offshore fishing, but I didn't know if you had any, um, you know, small bits of advice for that, for that, you know, passion angler that maybe wants to take their techniques and skill level to the next level. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I feel like I did it the right way. Um, I went, you know, through the high school, through the college, through the nation and then the opens and made it up there. But, you don't have to take any of those steps. You can go straight to the opens and qualify and you'd be just all hunky dory. But the one thing that I never did and I, I do regret was I never fished as a co-angler. And I feel like you can learn so much as a co-angler and, you know, really build your skill set without, you know, having to put forth as much money. You know, like if you're not ready, then don't jump into it. And if you want to learn anything, you go get in an open as a co-angler, you go fish the nation as a co-angler, all that stuff. And that puts you in the boat with somebody that's already, you know, been fishing for however long, you know, but they know, learn. you will not, not learn anything. And I really wish I would have fished as a a co-angler for like maybe a year um, just to fish with the different people and, and learn things. But that would be my my one piece of advice is, or two, fish as a co-angler, at least some, and don't jump. Like I stepped my way all the way up there. I didn't mm-hmm. jump. I feel like that's where a lot of people fall on their face whenever they, you know, they make that big jump and then doesn't quite work out. And then next thing you know you're financially bad and you got to quit fishing altogether. so that would be what i would say and just as a quick final follow-up can you explain a little bit more about like a co-angler and how people would be able to get that opportunity um you know if they are trying to take the step um up like that yes yeah, so the the nation um and the opens the nation is like your your blue collar um, weekend warrior type tournaments, except they, you know, they, you make a state tournament, you got qualifiers, you make a state tournament. And if you do good, you make a, a regional. If you do good, you make nationals. And a co-angler is a guy that either doesn't have a boat or, you know, doesn't like to fish in the front of his boat. He gets paired with a, a pro or a boater and um, you fish out of the back of somebody else's boat. And the entry fee is a lot less as a co-angler. And you get to learn kind of just for, just paying your entry fee 
you get uh, eight hours with somebody to teach you something. So like in the opens, I fish the opens. I'm fishing them now. Um, I know there's probably about 30 or 40 elite guys that are that are fishing the the opens. There's a really good chance that you'll get paired with one of us elite guys, and that's what you know. A lot of people would actually pay for to go do. You can be in a tournament and and get that opportunity to learn and and be with us and really learn how to do something that you don't know how to do. And that's the, the biggest thing and how we break things down and stuff. You get to talk to the person all day long. Um, you can really learn a lot doing that. Yeah. That, that sounds awesome. I, I'd never even heard of that. That's how much, how much do you know, like ballpark, what it would be like a couple grand? Uh, it, it'd be different. Um, no, I don't think any of them would be a couple grand. You know, if you fished an open as a, a co-angler, it might be 300 bucks um, for the tournament. And out of the nation, I don't know, it's probably 100 bucks. But it's it's kind of like what the, the Marshall program is for the Elite Series, except you actually get to fish. And um, – because we have marshals, every every boat has a marshal in the elite series that rides with you all day long. Um, he's there to, you know, make sure everything's valid, you know, so there's no funny business, and he's there to learn too. Um, it's just like that, except you get to fish. So, if 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 you could, I would I would definitely take the opportunity to do that. Yeah, that, that's a really cool program. Uh, I didn't know that existed. Um, I got two real quick rapid fire questions. Um, I know you said you like fish in saltwater also. So if you could choose a favorite saltwater fish and, um, you know, obviously besides yourself being at the game, who would you say is, is the best uh, overall bass fisherman, if, if you care to answer, um, in the elite series? Like who do you really look up to perhaps or, or could learn a lot from still? Um, you know, obviously I'd have to go with Rick Clun. He's, I don't know, he's like 109 and he's still fishing the elite series. He's not that old. Um, he's 70 and he, he still fishes the elite series. He fished the first ever Bassmaster Classic. Um, they just had the 50th anniversary last year and he's still fishing. So that's, he's definitely one to look up to. He's, he's done a lot of things. And he's probably forgot more about fishing than I know. Um, but what was the first part of that question? The saltwater part? What's your favorite? My favorite saltwater fish? Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite saltwater fish? Yeah. The catch. Like, it, it, you know, if you were going out saltwater fishing, what would you want to target? You know, that's a tough one. Um, it, it'd either be blue marlin, wahoo, or tuna. One of those three. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna group. I'm gonna group all of them together. Okay. We're gonna go offshore trolling. We're gonna go to the rigs and go trolling. All right. That's. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Drew. Okay, that's fair enough. That's a good answer. It's a very good answer. Fun fact: I caught a blackfin tuna about three and a half hours ago. Um, but we uh, we thank you so much for coming on and. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, maybe we can have you on you. We can have you on again sometimes, you know, after maybe once you get into the, the tournament season. 
Well, I appreciate I appreciate y'all having me. And yeah, anytime y'all just hit me up.